welcome on monday edition of the pod gotta finish out the 15 and 60 mailbag edition for the east last pod of the week with the thanksgiving holiday upon us and let's get right to it with the indiana pacers as of this recording the pacers are 10 and 6 3 and 3 since the last time we did this ninth in net rating at plus 4.2 19th in offense third in defense and 538 projects them to win 46 games which would put them fifth in the Eastern Conference. Third and before defense. we get into the question, defense. Where the hell did that come from? I still don't know. <laughs> That'll be if it if it continues for another two weeks. I think that will be the focus of our of at least I'll do some research on that because I've been as you know I've been very skeptical of their defense for the last two years. So I want to really dig into that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, and I think it, we to, thought that with Paul George no longer on the team that they're really going to fall apart, and that has not really been the case. I mean, I think one thing they've really improved a lot, Danny, is their defensive rebounding. They were a terrible defensive rebounding group a, a year ago. They're up to 10th uh, in defensive rebounding. Uh, they're not... The biggest thing they're doing is turning teams over, um, and, and this is just a statistical analysis, obviously. Um, and, you know, I think Thaddeus Young is a criminally underrated defensive player. I thought that for a long time, but I mean, when you look at the defensive option that this team has at the three you think like man and, and you know obviously Collison is not great either I think Corey Joseph has been an underrated part of that and they have some pretty good defensive players and, and maybe we'll have to start talking about Miles Turner potentially uh taking a step forward defensively but again I haven't looked at that at it that closely at this point um but yeah so uh after that reaction they're projected for 46 wins uh where did you want to go to start with for these guys well we should talk a little bit about Victor Oladipo he left the Hawks game early due to knee soreness and he just hasn't really looked like himself over the last little bit I think it's good to to give him some time if he needs that the Pacers are pretty you know comfortable with with where they are and everything and wait, wait on they're they're comfortable wanna... with where they are what do you mean by that like just well I mean do you think that pushing Oladipo no, for an extra not. winner potentially that. an extra you winner too? that but I mean I, I, yeah. I was like well yeah they're actually like trying really hard to get the four seed at least and get home court yeah goal. well it'd be great to sure but I mean I, I I think that considering the teams below fifth are not really strong right now like I, I don't think that they're you know giving him a couple of days just to, a couple of games just to make sure that he's right there i don't think there's much downward mobility you could say there's a lack of upward you know that if they that maybe those extra game or two could matter because remember the pacers did not win a game last year when victor oladipo did not play and then they they almost lost to the hawks in a game that he only played five minutes they did win that game and one other quick thing i don't want to go through shooting numbers uh oh this is this is the same knee knee soreness that he had issues with a a season ago and, and you know you mentioned how bad they were without him last year i mean they, they got blown out in all those games uh, as i recall um so the fact that they were able to come back even against the hawks i mean they trailed by nine at halftime uh and aaron holiday actually had a pretty nice game with all the depot out they needed some more creation i think uh holiday maybe can provide that we'll see this is his first real meaningful action of the season but yeah what's their schedule look like if all the is going to miss time which you imagine he's probably going to because he was really bad against miami only played 28 minutes and then they brought him back for the back-to-back and he wasn't able to go for more than five minutes so they host the jazz on monday then they 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 bounce around home and road they play charlotte in charlotte then they host the spurs and then they have this five game sorry four game western conference trip fortunately for them involves the Suns, so it's at utah at phoenix at the lakers at sacramento feels to me like the pages have also had a pretty easy schedule so far in terms of the offenses that they've faced uh but 
Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a, a murderer's row coming up there, right, for them? No, no, I wouldn't say that, but, I mean, they're teams that, if if Victor doesn't play, they'll have a they'll have a rough go of it, to yeah, be sure. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see. Also, they have Evans, too, which I think will really help them. I mean, they had nobody. Oh, yeah, that that's a mu- that makes it much more survivable, yeah. because he, he just gives them another, another place to go. Uh, all right, so, now that I've interrupted you 97 times, uh, let's get into the meat of, of our discussion here about the Pacers. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to say on Oladipo before we get into it. I'm tracking his kind of the proportion of his stats for the year. The only thing that's really striking so far, he's shooting way more pull-up threes this year, and the percentage dropped from a little bit below 36 to 30 flat, and that's a big change, and that's a part of why his efficiency is lower this year. Also, he's not getting to the line as much or getting to the rim as much. Hopefully, that's just related to this knee thing, and when once he feels right, he'll get back into it. We'll have to see. But we can get into the questions, and we'll start with one from Eddie McCour. Do the Pacers need to make a move to have a chance to get out of the first my answer would be if the goal is to to get to have a chance to get out of the first round they have a chance to get out of the first round right now i mean if it's a four or five series against philly philly is i would say the favorites in that series especially now that they have jimmy butler and we assume they'll get something on the buyout market but they absolutely have a chance i mean they had a chance last year they got to game seven against cleveland but it, it would help to have i would say like another creator that could play minute that could play crunch time minutes maybe maybe Tyree can do that but like having another option would be useful and but this is a pretty deep team I mean it's hard to really think of what they would add unless they gave up some real assets that would be a part of their like best eight yeah uh they're gonna have a very interesting offseason obviously they have a lot of cap space but they would need to to re-sign Young Uh, so much of it depends on the matchups I think if they match up against Philly you know that's a team that they can be fine against uh I think if they match up against a team that has a, a little bit more shooting uh, that can stretch out their centers i mean they don't this is a team that never switches and you know but i'm not sure that there's a team in the east that is just so nasty offensively that you just can't guard them conventionally you know what i mean I, I think we the celtics we thought might be that team but they're not there yet you know now trying to defend Kyrie irving in a pick and roll late in games you know, i'm not sure how good their centers are going to be at, at that Sabonis, Turner, I mean, these guys are conventional pick and roll defense all the way. Toronto, I think they can match up against a, a little bit better. Maybe Ibaka could give them a few problems. Uh, but, you know, I think that their bigger problem might be scoring. Uh, you know, I think they can defend not at an elite level, but at a very solid level in the playoffs. But I, I think their offense is a little predictable. They really only have one premium talent. They don't space the floor or not. They're extremely reliant on mid-range jumpers. You know, they've got the 19th ranked offense now. And if you look at their talent i think they could be a little bit better than that like the mcmillan's comments he deserves a ton of credit for getting as much out of them as he has defensively but some of his comments about oh we don't shoot threes i mean you know the miles turner in particular like he could really be such a force offensively but he's just not shooting threes and he's not hitting the very few that he is taking so i don't like them as favorites i think they absolutely you know and we'll see also the butler trade ultimately probably wasn't good for them we'll see what philly does to build out around them you know i think indiana's bench units uh, could be very successful against uh, philly but if philly can fill out their bench you know you can make the argument that philly has the two best players in that series and uh certainly three out of the best four with simmons although you know are those guys gonna all be maximized we'll see a lot of that's gonna depend on the role players so i think they would have a chance you know i don't think they're beating the bucks or the celtics or toronto and that's why getting into that fifth seed uh or if fourth seed too i mean if they you know it's no guarantee that philly is gonna have a better record than them uh especially if they could get home court in that series you know i might give them a shot if they don't have home court i think there'd be a substantial 
underdogs in particular because them not getting home court in theory means either they weren't playing that well or Philly was playing really well. And that ties in with the other question, which is from Steve Song, which is uh, basically, I would, I'll phrase it a little bit differently, which is of the, let's call them the top four teams uh, other than Indiana, Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Philly. Who do you think Indiana matches up best against? Yeah, you know, I would have said they match up worse against Boston, but Boston's offense just has been so weirdly bad this year um, because you'd say Horford as, as a stretch center, Kyrie is a pick and roll guard against their conventional pick and roll defense and you know average at best pick and roll defense centers you would have thought those guys could really eat there and then guys like Tatum Brown Hayward if you were actually being himself you know they have a lot of guys who could be attacked in theory one-on-one but you know Boston still is in this weird funk so you'd have to say Boston just because I think they you know they just don't look as good as Milwaukee or Toronto right now um but I would say I'd say probably Toronto I guess uh see I just think Kawhi wrecks Indiana's offense in that series you just put him on the depot and say what are you what are you gonna do about it I guess like Toronto is probably to me maybe maybe they match up best against uh I mean I think the Bucks are the worst defensive team of those four teams probably well that that's actually where I wanted to go with this is I think there there is a conception of this Pacers roster that would actually be really good against the Bucks because they can run all this high pick and roll stuff if if Budenholzer is going to try Brook Lopez in that series, you just use Miles Turner to exploit it. And you go to that opposite corner, opposite side for threes. They have a lot of capable shooters, even though they don't take a ton of threes. Like I could see them winning that series, but it's just not the way they play. They play a different style of offense. And so that would be a little bit challenging. And then defensively, it's int- that would be a, a fascinating series because Giannis, I mean, basically it would probably fall on Thaddeus Young, I'm assuming would yeah. be the way they would handle that. And then you have Bogdanovich on Chris Middleton, and then you have all base basically all their guards trying to slow down, you know, Bledsoe and everybody else. And, you know, I, I, especially because Turner is a different kind of, you know, defensive big. If they try to use Brook Lopez in that series, it might actually, you know, that might end up helping the Pacers to a degree. But yeah, I, I could see that being a fun series. The problem is it's just not what these Pacers are yeah. instead of, you know, it's the difference between my, me and Nate McMillan. And Nate McMillan has done amazing work with this team. He has taken them to a place that I genuinely did not see. And, and as you said, deserves a lot of credit for that. And I would say that's true on both ends of the four. But I wonder about whether that approach will work against vastly superior talent. Yeah, I think they could score against Milwaukee. Like there is a path to scoring against Milwaukee. Although again, you know, I mean, the way to beat Milwaukee's defense is by shooting a lot of threes, you know, taking advantage of their aggressive help. Because the way uh, in large part that Milwaukee makes up for the fact that maybe Lopez is a little bit slower. And now, if you know, Thon Maker starts playing more, if they, if Giannis, they start playing some more Giannis at center stuff as well then i think you know the pacers are going to struggle so but i think the, the pacers match up a little bit better against milwaukee's offense than the rest of the I, I don't think boston philly and toronto i mean those are just three awesome defenses i mean there, there's especially now that philly has butler uh i i don't see how the pacers score well enough to win series against those teams but maybe they could slow down philly enough so i mean philly i think is just not gonna be as good as those other three teams again we'll see how they fill out the roster but I, a lot of i think the pacers kind of are what they are and a lot of it just depends on where those teams are um all right, we'll move on to the Miami Heat here, for whom we actually have a dearth of questions. Uh, the Heat are one of the more uninteresting teams in the NBA uh, at this point. But 
of course we go into a read right before i i tease it that way that's what that's always how it happens i i just have impeccable timing to schedule these reads before like the more uninteresting teams but by the time you listen to this actually at the time this podcast is going to be released i will actually be watching nuggets at bucks as a fan it's gonna be a really interesting one uh usually when i go back to chicago i'll go to a bulls game but the local team is not very good so we're gonna drive up to milwaukee uh, my wife and i and got a great deal on tickets again with SeatGeek. it took me almost no time i just looked for that big dark green dot that ranks the tickets best based on value looked in the general vicinity that i wanted to sit in I was able to trust that the ticket selling sites were aggregated together so I didn't have to go to a bunch of different other sites and got a really good deal on tickets in the lower bowl for the two of us. So really looking forward to going to that game thanks to SeatGeek. And if you haven't used SeatGeek yet, which they're the inaugural sponsor of the pod over three years ago now. So it's crazy if you haven't tried them yet. But if you haven't, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CAPSPACE today. Easy remember CAPSPACE to talk about all the time here on the program. Program. That's promo code CAPSPACE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code. Let them know that you came from us. All right, the Miami Heat, 6-9, and nine, disappointingly so. 3-4 and four in their last seven. Negative 0.4 net rating is 17th in the league. They rank 20th on offense, 12th on defense. And we noted a lot of things about this team that they seemed, you know, kind of one of the more average teams in every way. They're falling a little bit off of that. But, you know, this seems like basically a, a 500 team so far and they are projected to be out of the playoffs at the moment but and it's crazy to think that as terrible as the wizards have been the heat are only a game ahead of them right now and the wizards have already had a western swing which the heat have not so where would you like to start with them well actually i want to start with them before we get into questions with a brief walkthrough of of their schedule for the next little bit because i think it's really going to be clarifying so they play brooklyn chicago toronto atlanta as a kind of a four team and and to me they should definitely win or mean if if they're going to be getting right even with their absence getting three of those four you know losing at toronto obviously no shame in that no back-to-backs those games are spread over the course of a full week so you could go through that and then after those games they have this long homestand starting with the atlanta game and then new orleans utah orlando before they then do their aforementioned west coast road trip and so they have time the heat have time to get this together but i think that's really the window is that so tuesday december 4th they play orlando if they don't and that's right before they go out on this road trip If they're three or four games below 500 still at that point, then I'm going to start to worry. Yeah, and I think really what needs to get better for them is the defense. You know, I think if you look at this team's offensive talent, 20th is right about where they should be. I know Josh Richardson is playing well, but we haven't seen as much from Dragic. Maybe James Johnson, who, by the way, finally revealed why it was that he hasn't debuted. He said basically he has to get back in shape, which that's not great because you remember he had ballooned to like 275 his last year in Toronto. Then he comes to the Heat, he and Waiters both get into awesome shape he gets that contract and then i think just due to the inactivity now you know he deserves blame for that obviously there's nothing that says that when you're inactive you have to continue eating as much as you would when you're active so you know you don't have to balloon up when you get surgery but he apparently did so he's got to get back to his playing weight that's why he hasn't debuted yet uh so maybe he'll help get a little more playmaking but they have a lot of guys at the floor at the four uh pretty amazing to me that hassan whiteside is only 54 percent true shooting below the league average in true shooting i mean that's just crazy to me uh given what his role is and should be um 
Well, let's get into the questions here. We only got two of them, but uh, maybe if we run out of time or if we run out of interesting things to say in these questions, I'll have to come up with another one to ask you. So the first one is, we can do this maybe more quickly from Sebastian, which is, should the Heat make a play for Markel Fultz? And I get the idea behind this. I've gotten a few fake trades. We did that whole Markel Fultz podcast involving Miami because they do need more shot creation, at least in their current iteration. Getting waiters back will help. But Fultz specific limitations, I think, would be hard for Miami to overcome just because he's such a limited shooter. They're playing traditional fives a lot, you know, basically all the time. And, you know, Bam has a little bit more range on his jump yeah. shot, but they, he still could, doesn't get those guys. They could pair him defending. with Olenek. I think that that would actually be a, a pretty useful. Sure. Yeah, there are, there are roster constructions where I think Fultz could help them. But the other big problem for Miami is that Fultz is owed 9.7 million for next season and that's going to be a very expensive year for Miami assuming Whiteside, Tyler Johnson and Dragic all pick up their lucrative player options and if Dragic doesn't pick his up then either you're replacing him or you're paying Dragic himself. So that's a lot to take on and presumably, you know, maybe Philly would take on one of their players, but if they're if they're committing to multi-year salary, it's going to be for somebody they really like. So and, and I don't think, I think it's a, it's a tough team. fit. I mean, would that be Rodney Magruder? And although, do, do they even like have Ellington any expiring money to send back with Magruder to make the salaries match? Well, Ellington has a no trade. Yeah. So an implicit one because of the one year deal. So that sort of circumstance. Yeah. No, he might want to. I mean, he's from Philly, so he might want to go back there. He'd be a wonderful fit for that team. Oh, man. I'd love to see Wayne Ellington on the Yeah, Sixers replacing this year. Uh, Shamit with him, I think, would, would be a nice upgrade. Um, but other than that, I mean, they don't really have it. Like, uh, Ellington would almost have to. I mean, or you could say, like, you know, maybe you could cobble together enough salary with like Derek Jones and I mean they're not going to trade you Dennis Haslam obviously and he could actually block a trade as well uh hilariously enough so yeah it, it's tough construction and then you know do you want to trade but you know Magruder you can make the argument that he's fallen off a little bit after a hot start but you can make the argument that he's more valuable than Fultz uh, at this point so is, is uh well I'm gonna I'll, I'll pivot another way is there any construction that Philly could do to try to get Josh Richardson because I don't I don't think that there is unless you involve their best players which presumably they wouldn't because josh richardson would be a nasty nasty fit with this team i mean they wouldn't include him in the jimmy butler talks now part of that i think is that they haven't looked they didn't look that good to begin with um and so it's like yeah what is adding butler really going to guess in addition to the fact that richardson has been better now let's not go crazy on richardson you know if you're talking about him as like an every down feature guy i'm not convinced that that's him yet i mean he's 25 this year he can certainly get better very solid defensive player solid shooter from from three I mean, so what would that have to be that would have to be I mean, you consider how favorable his contract is if miami said hey we're actually going to trade this guy and i i just don't think they're there mentally yet uh to because yeah, i mean the argument for trading him is hey they got to just do a total rebuild here i mean that's the only way you trade josh richardson is we're going to do a total rebuild and yeah he's a solid player but we want to get bad here and you know he can get us a lot of assets and we're just kind of punting into the future and you know we can get our 2021 draft pick back which is out unprotected you know so that might be maybe you could say if they ever went to that strategy trading him back to philly for that pick would actually make a ton of sense uh but no, I don't think that they're there yet. I'm not sure what Philly could offer that could just bowl them over at this point. So uh, now I, I just don't really see it. Uh, you know, Fultz could be a part of the future if they wanted to totally go that rebuild route. Maybe if, you know, they're headed for 30 wins around the trade deadline, that's something that might be considered a little more. But it's just, you know, that we haven't seen Pat Riley or Spolstra at this heat front office even consider that. That's why they're in the predicament that they're in to begin with. Right. And Miami, if they really opened up Richardson, I think they could go in a lot of other directions 
directions. And one of the big weaknesses of a Sixers conceptual offer is that they don't really have that premium asset other than maybe Miami's pick incidentally in that route, because like Zaire Smith is interesting. He's hurt right now. We haven't really gotten to see much from him. And then their own picks are, you know, fine. And maybe they could, it would be kind of ballsy to trade away that chance of the number one pick for Sacramento. It'd be kind of hilarious if they did. But yeah, I think that's really, I, I don't, it's a, it's a fun thought experiment for me mostly because I would love to see Josh Richardson fit with this Sixers team. But from Miami's perspective, I think you're right on the money there. And then that can get into Steve Song's question, which is most improved player. He, the options he gave were Josh Richardson, Zach Levine, and Karis LeVert. For me, Levine is below the other two because really what he's doing is maintaining, and this is still praiseworthy, obviously. He's maintaining similar efficiency with a higher usage and the team is not going up, improving to the same degree with Richardson it's it's a greater combination you know this is also his most effective true shooting season as of now and usage has gone up his highest assist rate of his career part of that is that he's making 45% of his threes if he makes 45% of his threes he'll be a really good player and so for Richardson versus Levert it's it's interesting yeah, because this is basing it I would just, prob- you're basing it just solely on what they've done at this point because obviously to win it at the end right. of the year Levert Re- is going to be out now Correct. Yeah. So it was basically pretending that I was giving out the award today. And between those two, I mean, it's interesting because there are elements of their profiles that are kind of similar. I would actually probably, I think it might go with Levert just because to me, he's, I don't, maybe it's the three point shooting part of it. Like, uh, because Levert's, it, it's not necessarily that it's more sustainable, but that also Richardson was so much better of a player at the start. And so while I think Richardson has been probably better than Karis Levert, so he has been better than Levert so far. Levert going from where he was to where he is feels more significant than Josh Richardson. I actually think that Levine has made it the most impressive steps for it if we're just limiting the I, I haven't looked at the whole league or anything who i'd pick but th- what levine has added as far as getting to the foul line and getting to the basket compared to w- where he was in minnesota his last year and yeah how do you throw in the acl as far as and his performance last year you know i'm, I'm kind of more comparing him most improved compared to where he was in minnesota before the injury but certainly i think you deserve credit for coming back from an injury like that to be so much more improved uh, so I, I think levine has added something to his game richardson yeah his usage is higher this year but almost all of what he's doing that high usage all of all almost all of what's making him efficient right now is 45 percent three-point shooting and that's not going to continue even if he get down to 40 percent, which would be awesome based on the type of looks that he's getting you know he's still close to league average he can't finish around the rim right now you know he's not really an efficient two-point shooter uh he has curbed his turnovers but doesn't get a ton of assists doesn't put a ton of pressure on the defense other than bombing those three-pointers so i I think richardson we'll see where he's at at the end of the year but i i don't know if he's going to end up in the same category uh, as levine once the season is over uh just because i think levine has added more sustainable stuff really changed i when i talk about most improved i kind of like it to focus on guys who okay you didn't just get incrementally better in every area but you really added something to your game that i didn't think you could add and i think levine falls into that category for me and i would say karis levert probably does for me as well but maybe yeah no i and it's really too bad we're not going to get to see what he was able to do over the course of a full <sighs> season but hopefully yeah. he'll be back and playing this well uh, at the end of the year another heat stat for you Udonis haslam has a 41 percent usage and a negative 26.2 per but he's he's only played six minutes uh milwaukee bucks 11 and 4 3 and 3 in their last six uh, a little disappointing that they had that first game back from the road trip hangover loss uh, against memphis but then proceeded to, to blow out the bulls 
who uh, also helped Toronto end their mini losing skid. And the Bucks have had a murderous schedule so far. Important to remember about them that basically this is may have been before they played the Bulls, but they have uh, the easiest schedule uh, going forward when you look at what uh, opponents' records are because they've played so many good teams already. They already had a West Coast swing in which they played all good teams essentially. So they are first in the NBA in net rating. We've seen a couple of pieces come out recently. Uh, they have the second ranked offense, eighth ranked defense. Now they're projected for 55 wins. A couple of pieces have come out recently. Uh, one was KP's. Another was Ben Taylor's most recent podcast, the Thinking Basketball podcast. If you want to subscribe to that? It's a great pod. But both of them did research showing that based on the profile they've had so far it would be a historical oddity for a team that has started as well as they have kp focused on blowout wins uh, ben taylor focused on, on just healthy starts uh, essentially you know how good teams have been when healthy and for them not to win over 55 games with this kind of a start would be a historical anomaly basically is what both of them uh, were came up with so that's uh, that's great news for bucks fans it really is and they are going to be dealing with more injuries over over the next near term i mean whether those injuries are impactful we'll have to see so john henson has a torn ligament in his left wrist he is going to be out probably until after the all-star break and he does plan to return this season but that's a long time and that might open the door for a more Giannis at the five just depending on how they want to do it and also more thon maker at the five which is exciting as a kind of a, a test case because you and i both feel that defensively he's a much better fit for where this team wants to go in april may and hopefully june than brooke lopez just because lopez can be exploited by the best teams yeah i think that's right now lopez clearly is a far superior offensive player to thon i mean thon is maybe disappointed a little bit with his shooting so far uh but lopez i mean the way he's been bombing it's not going to quite continue like this but you know he's on pace for the most threes ever by a seven footer he's making some real deep attempts uh, like we saw in that game in denver but and I think even Ilyasova, who's kind of been the guy that they've gone to at center rather than Lopez at the end of games, is kind of the more mobile option. Still, is just I mean Ilyasova is slow for a four. You know he's more mobile than Lopez, but he's not really a guy who can move his feet that well he's an excellent help defender but he's he's not a switch guy like you're still gonna be playing conventional pick and roll defense uh you know we saw the celtics for example carve it up uh we saw a little more switching with on it and so i think while you never want to say this I, i'm very impressed with what henson has done adding the three ball to his game this year that i think it is a good thing for the bucks to kind of be forced to play thon and just either develop him see what they have with him try to find another way to be adaptable defensively because they need some different ways to go here uh, against some of the best teams. Now, you, you might say, hey, you know what? In the East, there aren't like unbelievable offensive teams, uh, although Boston just lit them up. You know, I think Brad Stevens just understands how to attack this Bucks team. Uh, we, maybe we won't see that all the time from Boston, but it, it's good. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe Thon just won't play well. You know, I mean, we've, we've, we saw last year in the playoffs, he came alive. He was horrendous during the regular season, despite plenty of opportunity being gifted to him. Uh, the other injury they have, Dante DiVincenzo, who has not been shooting it well uh, from three. We've seen Pat Connaughton move into a more prominent role. Connaughton has been very effective for them. Uh, DiVincenzo will miss at least three games with uh, a left quadriceps strain, the first of which uh, was Friday against Chicago. So he'll be reevaluated after that. So let's start with uh, Ahima Osazua. Osuza, Osu, Osazua. Yeah, Osazua, I think is, is it. Uh, should the Bucks offer Middleton the max next summer? So I'll take the max as five-year contract, 190 
190 million the, the full boat here uh just to give you the relevant information on middleton his cap hold will be a little bit less than that but if they hold on to his cap hold even if they move everyone else they're not going to have space so the the idea of kind of retaining him with the small cap hold doesn't really make a, a ton of sense and then he is 27 right now he turns 28 in august god that's a, it's a lot because basically the commitment for milwaukee if they if they give chris middleton the full boat is basically this is our team for the remainder of this contract for Giannis, and then you know depending the next one whether that's with with them or with someone else and middleton is is probably the best that they can do and it's not like they can pivot from middleton to someone else like oh we can give somebody else the max i probably god i I think i probably would just because of the idea of present value versus future value and i'm sure other people will be knocking at his door just because of the scarcity of of wings in this market but i i I feel uncomfortable about it just because he is a good complimentary player and maybe there is a little bit more room for him to grow but i mean you're basically saying okay we need thon to improve Giannis can have to take another step but basically that we are this i mean divincenzo i guess as well like that's it's a big that's a big bet to make much depends uh, on how things end up right i mean if if middleton continues to play this well if the bucks make it to the east finals how competitive are they there uh but remember of course that so much of this is about getting Giannis uh, to sign on for one more he's gonna almost certainly be eligible in the 2020 offseason for that designated player veteran extension so that of course is the crossroads for him and the franchise so they've basically got two more years to impress him and if they lose Middleton next year I see no way in which they could replace him and be as good uh and while you might say hey you know what Giannis is pretty young in theory if you could just rely on Giannis being on the team forever you might say hey you know what? we're gonna have to let Chris go this year but then we can have big time cap space in 2020 we might be able to build around you a little bit more but that's the time when he's gonna be making the decision and so they can't it's not really an option to take a step back next year and so if the only way that I could retain him is to bite the bullet and say yeah five years 190 million okay I mean, I think, you know, assuming that they end this year playing pretty well, you probably got to just do it, even though that obviously is, you know, it's probably an overpay for him even at the start. And, you know, when you do a five-year contract to a 27-year-old that you're overpaying at the start, you don't want to think about uh, what the back's going to look like, even though I do expect him to age a little bit better due to his size and shooting ability. You know, maybe there's room for kind of the DeRozan, the five-year deal at a little bit less than the max, you know, 10 million less than the max over five years, but still way more than you could get over four years. You know, there might be room for someone like that or you know slightly smaller raises or you know something along those lines uh but no i mean i think you assuming that they're pretty good like what else can you do i mean the, the alternative yeah paying him is may not be great but the alternative is even less palatable all right let's do one more here oh uh, there are kind of two oh, yeah, more okay. i want to do yeah, we do well, here, right? i could we yeah. do them quickly so one from erratica how would you evaluate their free agency additions i think they've done really well overall i mean brooke for the he got the biannual right yes but he's making three point five 3.4 is great. One of the best free agent contracts, especially of the short-term variety. I mean, he's really helped them. Ilyasova, I still, you know, it still seems like a lot to give Ilyasova, but having that third year be non-guaranteed is really helpful because then they can kind of get yeah. out of it if they need, you know, if they need to, but then they don't have to. I mean, 7 million for Ilyasova is not bad. Connaughton has done well. And remember, yeah, they have a non-guaranteed season on him yeah. too. Yeah, so Connaughton's another success. I like Christian Wood. I think Christian Wood can be a part of their options now with John Henson out. So I think 
think I think they've done really well. And when you consider that they had the with, with letting Jabari Parker go, they had the mid level, the biannual, and minimums. Basically, it would be hard under realistic circumstances to expect much more production than they've gotten out of that group. Yeah, I mean, I think we both gave him a poor grade. Part of my reason, which I already acknowledged on yesterday's show, is that you know we thought, hey for who you got you might as well have kept her on parker and then yeah you would have had to pay the tax potentially uh but so be it uh but Parker hasn't looked good as a bull, you know, and, and I thought part of the idea for keeping around Parker was you got to get some kind of an upside on this team to play incredibly well. They're already playing incredibly well. They've been even better than we thought they might improve to under Bud. Now we'll see how they end the season up and we'll see how much Ilyasova hurts them next year. We'll see whether Ursa and Ilyasova even helps them in the playoffs that much. You know, I think he, he's helped them so far in the regular season, but you know, to say that they've gotten just so much more from him than maybe they could have gotten as like Thon at the back of four or just whoever else they could have brought, you know, maybe an Anthony Tolliver or someone like that uh, that they could maybe could have brought in as the backup four instead of Ilyasova, uh, who only would have been a one-year contract instead of two. I mean, you know, if you could, if they could have signed Ilyasova for one year or seven million, then I would have been like, yeah, I would have felt much better about it. And, you know, so we'll see if they, there was also a thought too that they might, Middleton and Bledsoe could leave and then they would have to reload and that seven million for Ilyasova wouldn't help them that much there either. You know, the way everyone is playing right now it seems more likely that they'll come back but you know remember things could change a ton you know even between the start of the playoffs and when you get knocked out just ask portland about that last year so my objection there was always the second year the who else is bidding this much for him aspect so you know it's the same thing as like you know with the shooter contract in, in okc or the trade for blake griffin it's like we didn't object because of like how he was going to play in the first month of the season like that wasn't that wasn't the objection to that signing um but certainly their offseason looks far better now than it did uh, at the time with Parker playing poorly and with them playing so well. And Lopez. So the last one quickly. Yeah, absolutely. The last one quickly from Deadpool 76, and this will tie in with Lopez. Is the Buck success more about how good Budenholzer is or how bad Jason Kidd was? So I think there was a lot of low-hanging fruit that any reasonable coach would have been able to tie in defensively, especially like there was just a lot that they could do. But what Budenholzer has really added is this going really forward with four spacing centers and advancing the advancing the offense and so i would say under a different coach maybe their defensive rating could be similar you know in that range but offensively be lower and i have my qualms about Budenholzer as a playoff coach but i i would say this is more kid being bad but it's closer than i would have expected yeah i'm looking forward to uh i'm just gonna schedule my tweet now for like you know the first saturday of the playoffs of like mike Budenholzer going for a quick two uh but yeah, aside from that, I mean, the fact that they're bombing 43 is a game. I mean, that that's just fantastic. Let's move now to the Knicks. What are their fundamentals? The Knicks are 4-12, and 1-5 and five since the last 15 and 60. They are 26th in net rating, negative 7.4, 24th in offense, 26th in defense, and 530 projects them to win 22 games, which would put them 14th in the Eastern Conference. And yeah, I mean, so I think we'll start. I like that the... the uh, actually, no, I'll start with a different question because this is the most interesting one to me. I will not i will not butcher the last name so i will not say it it's ali no i'm gonna try it kia banshian and so basically the question is what would your he said offensive plan but i'm gonna just say plan what would your plan for the knicks be if they do not end up getting kevin durant chill which is part of why the noah stretch didn't make as much sense as you've written and, and talked about in particular you, you've been a thought leader on that one uh but i, I, Yay! I, think, I think there are many uh, who agree with you including me um yeah i mean i think 
I think it's actually. Well, and let's let's yeah. wait briefly as a point of clarification. Let's expand this to Durant and other Max players because sure. it's not like oh, if you can't get Durant, get Kyrie Irving. Okay, so it's the same basic approach. Yeah. But so if they it, don't it get a when, Max, when you say what's guy. the plan? Oh, hey, let's offer this Max player a Max contract. You know that doesn't take a, a ton of uh, incredible foresight there um yeah i think it's just take on bad money and try to get another good draft pick i mean part of it probably depends on who they draft a lot of it depends on how porzingis looks you know they are going to lose a little bit of cap space if they give porzingis the max contract and you know rather than relying on his cap hold but you know a lot of the bad money will come off the books uh i mean i guess there's who else is left really there's not really anyone left other than i mean hardaway won't come off the books in 2020 lee is really the only one and a lot of that gets eaten up in the difference between porzingis's cap hold and what he would be making uh, on a max contract in 2020 so they really aren't going to have much more space i don't think in 2020 unless i'm just forgetting somebody here uh that's going to be coming off the books yeah no they won't they'll be right about the same same level again you know kind of one no the other guy you might have been thinking about is noah but now that's not happening yeah i mean he because he got stretched so he's six million the next three years after this one uh so but i think if there's what you really want to avoid doing is you know kind of the short term let's throw our money at the best guy we can find and because they're just they're so far away it just you know i mean they're other than you know maybe a porzingis they're still kind of in the same area as the hawks i mean they got all these young guys robinson knox uh who's really struggling by the way he's, since he came back from that ankle injury um robinson has looked pretty good and his cancer is complaining uh, about not playing enough down the end of games uh but he's also Ennis cancer and it doesn't matter uh but you know neil Aquino, they still want to develop we have a question about him in a second so you know it doesn't make sense to sign you know you might try to say hey you know we'll sign like a trevor reza type of guy just to sort of help these guys move along here get some veteran leadership and someone who actually plays or you take on the the bad money and try again in 2020 and hope that these young guys can develop more and then you get obviously another high draft pick which they are quite on track for this season but yeah i mean that's not a sexy plan but uh anything else is a worse one to me yeah i mean it would be great assuming porzingis is the foundational piece that we're kind of building these logic this piece around is getting a pick and roll i mean if you get a maestro great if you can get you like the term operator if you get somebody like that would be great and generally speaking it's really hard to get those players through the draft just because it takes some time and everything else and is bob Cobb so, available he's a maestro i don't think i know that reference seinfeld i, I just watched that episode oh. but elaine wants the guy or, or dates the guy who demands to be called maestro but like his actual name is, uh, oh, the, that's the guy right. who's like, yeah, yeah you can't, okay. you, there's nothing for sale in Tuscany or, or nothing for rent in Tuscany. So, like, but I mean, when you're looking at the point guards of this class, it's just a very deep point guard class, but I don't know how many of the guys fit that description. I mean, Kemba's wonderful, but he's also 29, I believe. So, that you, that, yeah. you start to run into the age curve issues. Rubio's shooting, especially if they're going to keep Frank on the floor, creates some problems. I mean, and so, and then you get into the younger guys. I mean, like, I, I think Dinwiddie would actually be pretty fascinating there and maybe they could get him at a reasonable enough price where it's not prohibitive on the other moves they want to make so but that's that's the challenge so if you can't really get into that group and then you also don't want to if the knicks especially if they're going to be bad for another year you don't necessarily want to commit to a single player because you don't know what you're going to need like let's say you draft a, like all of a sudden the guys that are available at your pick are that position or the, the availability and like or maybe the guy that you drafted in the second round this you know in 2019 works out so i wouldn't tie tie yourselves to it unless you know this is a guy we can slot in somewhere with where this team is going 
david lee that's a, a great great uh i wonder if that's his real name where he's just calling himself that because he's a knicks fan and and uh hearkening back to the days of uh david lee uh how do mitchell robinson and chris Porzingis coexist if their best position is at center uh well i mean i think porzingis is going to be played at the four he wants to be played at the four the fact that he tore his acl means he's much more likely to get played at the four because of the nebulous wear and tear supposedly i i know of no actual evidence that would indicate that you're more likely to get injured or tear your acl again if you play center as opposed to power forward but that i'm sure is the perception for both player and team uh, you know robinson as a traditional center is probably not going to play more than 25 minutes a game maybe he can get to be mobile enough that he can play more than that but well he looks like a really nice player and i think he could be a, a future starter someday and they're right to be excited about him you know i think you could certainly start both those guys together i mean having that type of shot blocking and length i mean even if you're a little slower against most teams i mean still having that type of height on the floor is a massive impediment if you want to get into the playoffs against the best shooting teams yeah it might be difficult but you know they're so far away from that anyway I, you know i think they could make a very good defense around those two guys in time and then you could always close games with chris Epps at center or play him at center on the second unit if you needed to and uh, offensively i think those guys work fine together you know chris has spacing the floor and uh robinson as a big gravity guy rolling to the rim my one concern is what you do with Rich mitchell robinson when you're running the pick and roll with porzingis because then if his guy that might make life a lot harder on the point guard you know just they can't get all the way to the basket because there'll be some but even maybe they can do dump off passes and things of that nature yeah that might, well, might well porzingis is he's a pick and pop guy he's not actually gonna catch the ball right right move. that's why i was talking about what the yeah. point guard what the point guard can do oh. just because that's the person who i think would be more impacted by robinson yeah. than porzingis because he's just going yeah. out but i mean i think robinson with his gravity as an alley-oop guy is probably a, a better fit than most centers because you know if you come up if you're you think about it you're that point guard coming off the screen they got to stick to porzingis the way i always used to with dirk and then now you're coming downhill and you've got a two-on-one but a two-on-one with robinson there you can throw it up by the rim uh whereas you know some other more groundbound centers you don't have as many passing angles so if you're going to play a center next to porzingis i think robinson is actually a, a reasonably solid fit last question here should we expect frank nilakina to be an andre robertson type player uh says arun kumar um what do you think Robertson's extremes are unrealistic to expect from Frank in either direction, actually. I think he's a more capable overall offensive player. I mean, we saw back when he played in Europe that his catch and shoot ball is, is pretty solid. And I think he's, you know, can do more with the ball in his hands than Robertson. Not that that's a high bar, but Robertson, I, I like Frank's defensive potential a lot. I think he does a really nice job on ball, really makes guys work and defend ideally both guard positions. But Robertson is special. I mean, he's like an all defensive team guy already. And so there's a chance that Frank gets there but i'm not necessarily going to expect it until we see that game in game out for a larger sample because that's you know it's not talking about like can frank be in all all nba guides can we expect it and i don't think we should expect it yet though it is absolutely a possibility yeah all defense i i assume you mean it and i mean frank's just he doesn't have the same size and strength as robertson not as good of a rebounder either so that's uh yeah but i think frank can be better offensively before we move on to the 8-8 eight eight Orlando Magic, I want to tell you about a, a company that has actually saved me. I was so lucky that they became a sponsor right after I got married because it is thank you note time. And Minted is a great way to do thank you notes. They specialize even more in holiday cards. We're doing our holiday cards through them as well. It's the only place to get a truly unique holiday card. You can design all of the elements yourself or you, they will even send you some suggested designs as well that you can then modify. And it's 
it's really easy to get started with them all you do is you text your photo to card c-a-r-d-s which is 22737 and that photo then you can put it on your holiday cards you can upload a spreadsheet to them and they will just mail all of those cards for you that's really fantastic you get free custom envelopes and recipient addressing as i mentioned uh all of that is in a variety of matching designs and hand styled fonts they have these great hand selected designs that are created by independent artists based on and they'll text you back based on the photo you sent with the designs that'll work best for you our, our christmas card is this black and white photo of us at the wedding we had all the guests blow bubbles as we walked back out uh, down the aisle from the wedding and so they actually sent us a, a design that worked really really well with that black and white photo new customers at minted will get 20 percent off but only through november 30th so you're going to want to act quickly here by texting your photo to 22737 once again that's cards 22737 to get started with minted it's just an incredibly easy process so i mentioned the magic at eight and eight did we do the Knicks fundamentals we did right yeah i okay. did oh yeah we just had a typo in there we, you said four and twelve right because it says one and twelve in this show. because they are four yeah. and twelve yeah, yeah. That, that's always good to say the record that they actually are uh but the magic actually are eight and eight five and two rousing wins they blew out the lakers they beat the sixers in jimmy butler's first game negative 2.0 net rating not that great 22nd they are the 21st ranked offense that is actually better uh nikola vucevic has been going off lately that's the biggest reason for that and 16th in defense which again is a step forward uh you're impressed with what you saw from john isaac against the lakers uh he's returned a couple games ago from that sprained right ankle yeah isaac is still coming off the bench for orlando there they have Uwundu in the starting five still even though isaac is going back and he only played 17 minutes against the lakers but he had five blocks i went back and watched all of them isaac's defensive potential is what got both of us infatuated with him if anything and- i think he's been better than we thought he would be uh defense yeah and and probably yeah, worse I, I think so too frankly, oh yeah absolutely i mean because the idea for me offensively with him was always like fourth or fifth option and then he's just a defensive monster and he's been a defensive monster and he's looked like a fifth or sixth option offensively for most part and five blocks and and the last one of them was my favorite i mean he did some on ball some off ball but it was blocking a kcp dunk attempt in transition it was there was the the question with that joel Embiid one about whether that was a block it was they credited with block it was and Isaac just goes for stuff that's one of the things that I love so much for especially a young defensive player is just yeah sometimes you're going to get called for fouls sometimes you're going to get dunked on but going for it because that overall that will benefit your team more than it hurts especially if you're as talented as Isaac is so how Steve Clifford how this front office figures out their front court minutes rotation concept of the team is going to be so fascinating and i hope that i'm not just sitting here caping for jonathan isaac as a second draft guy in two years but if that's where it's going to need to be then that's where i'll be that block that he had on joel Embiid, which actually was not credited to him initially and the magic successfully and correctly lobbied the league uh that it should be it reminded me of the way alonzo morning used to block dunks his philosophy was and even later in his career he was really good at it his philosophy was you know you might be able to jump higher than me on a dunk but no matter how high you jump you always got to bring the ball back to the, down to the rim and so what he would do 
is he would put his hand up in front of the rim you know basically really close to the rim when they if he knew the guy was going up for a dunk because if you if a guy is a real skywalker if you try and meet him at the very top of his of his jump you're probably not gonna be able to get your arm up as high and he's just gonna go right over you and dunk it if you just basically hold your hand in the the path of where you know he has to go to bring the ball to the rim you can block a lot more dunks that way and that's what he did uh on that play against Embiid um let's start with this one i, I kind of like this one uh from marfan over under 35 wins this year for uh, the magic they are projected for 34 uh by our friends at 538 that's a really good number i, I think that the magic actually on talent are right around that line maybe hmm, like 36 or because they remember they're getting guys back and everything like that but generally teams that are 35 37 even win talented teams end up winning fewer than that because they're probably not going to make the playoffs you know getting into the though the, the magic would theoretically with how weak the bottom of the east is actually have a shot at it generally those teams end up maybe they get sidetracked by an injury or two like orlando did last year or they get just out of the playoff mix and then they fall so i le- i think the magic are maybe a better team than that number but i'll go under just because that's the way this usually works yeah there's also the possibility of a trade um and if they start mo bamba instead of vucevic i mean for as much as we've killed vucevic over the years i mean he's having a wonderful offensive season just to give you some of his stats so far this year he's at 44 percent from downtown and shooting 55 percent overall from the field which is just so much better than he usually is and his true shooting is 60 percent i mean he's usually in the low 50s for that now is that going to continue he's even like getting to the foul line a little bit more (laughs) than he normally does though it's still not that much but and he's been excellent of course on on the defensive glass uh and you know to have more length around him makes it a little harder to take advantage of him you know i do think that they're ahead of themselves at, at 16th in defense you know i don't quite expect that to continue but I, I agree with you i mean if any trades happen like so much of this actually really depends on you know if they could just get lucky in close games for like a month or two here and be like around 500 a month before the trade deadline then maybe they hold on to all these guys and, and they hit that over otherwise maybe not but i think even if they keep this whole team this year i think they're still a little bit below that level in terms of their overall talent um well and something i i agree with you and something else to to mention here is they have an absolutely brutal stretch of schedule coming up so they play tuesday right before thanksgiving against they host the raptors then they go on a west coast based road trip denver lakers warriors is a back-to-back portland phoenix and then for whatever reason they go to miami before a home game but i mean they're probably just staying in orlando for a few days and do it that way but i mean that's just brutal i mean they're underdogs in all of those games but phoenix and then maybe the miami game we'll see where the heat are at that point and but probably in that one as well and not only are they underdogs but i mean they're gonna need to play like the way they did when they you know beating philly like they've had some really nice wins this year they beat that game against san antonio as well but those are the types of performances oh yeah that's right they also beat boston that game was super weird um but they're gonna need to have those type of performances to, to even get close to 500 on that trip here's a quick one we could do chris bachelor asks does an aaron gordon for brandon ingram trade makes sense for both sides certainly lakers fans are go- are apoplectic that you would even imply that aaron gordon could be as good as brandon ingram but you know, i think they actually they have some similarities gordon probably takes more threes than he should and isn't good at him 
they both take more mid-rangers than they should uh ingram doesn't take enough threes and maybe should take more because he's uh, better at him uh but the big problem here is the salaries the lakers are not interested in taking on any more money for next year and any trade like that would almost certainly lead to them increasing their 2018-19 salary obligations uh so they would not be interested in that i mean i think you could potentially make an argument that gordon could be a little bit better fit than ingram but i it's not really particularly compelling to me so no i I don't know that that necessarily makes sense i I think the magic would certainly rather have ingram uh, than gordon i probably would at this point just due to the fact that i think that gordon you know just doesn't have that much upside as a ball handler left to explore whereas ingram you know i think he he does uh his statistical performance so far uh, in his career has been underwhelming as far as how much he's actually contributing to winning but you know there are ways in which you could say hey this guy could be someone who we're gonna put the ball in his hands and really have him attack and the magic you know don't have that i think just he's more of a three than gordon is i like his fit next to isaac better so i understand why the magic would want to do that uh i don't think the lakers would if the contracts weren't the same maybe it would make more sense but that's also one of those deals that like you know both teams overvaluing their own their young guys like just doesn't happen even if the talents are kind of equivalent um which other ones do you want to do here matt absher asked if they should make a play for john wall i think the magic could really use a point guard especially somebody who is more established like who who won't have the learning curve even though they're they have young guys if they wanted to really grow i mean the east is there like there are spots for the taking if they were better but the problem is john wall makes too much damn money i mean four years 171 million after this year that's about 43 million a year and the team's finances just get totally out of whack and as i said with the kevin love thing back in the cleveland part of the 15 and 60 in the previous episode those obligations run out so far that there isn't really a way to mitigate it and so orlando is basically committing to him being a part of it and he's too old yeah. for their young guys what are you if you get so it? i i like the seven seed maybe yeah and to think you have spent all these years in the wilderness and then you make a trade that basically makes you too good to get more stars although they might even they might be that anyway unfortunately we'll, we'll see how their lottery luck happens and where they finish this year and how the new odds end up affecting them but yeah it's just like what are you getting there uh if you're gonna uh, trade for john wall you know i think he certainly could help them i, I would love to see them run more i think he, he could have him doing pick and pop with vucevic you know he hasn't really had like a great pick and pop partner um you know we'll see whether vucevic is going to be back or not next year that'll be a really interesting one a really interesting decision for this team with as well as he's played this he's not going to continue to play this well but you know if he can keep that up to some degree um but yeah i don't think wall is the answer and there's there are plenty of point guards on the market next year who could be competent and maybe you could see this team making a run for the lower end of the playoffs with just competency you know i mean that was the question right is are they another question from david mchumbug uh are the magic a solid starting point guard away from the eighth seed uh, i think they're a starting point guard away from at least contention for the eighth seed sure yeah i have nothing really to add there i agree with you all right two more to go here let's move to philly yeah, let's do it. So the Sixers are 11 and 7, 5 and 2 since last time we did this. They are slight negative net rating, negative 0.2 puts them 16th, 18th in offense, 13th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 52, which would put them in a tie for third. With Boston? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Boston at 52, and then uh, Raptors at 58, Bucks at 55. So would you like to update us on a stat that probably with the addition of Butler?
Butler maybe is not going to be that interesting anymore. But uh, the Fultz effect... Well, actually, it could end up, if if they keep on beasting with Jimmy Butler on the floor, it might end up getting more stark, just less relevant. Of So, so far, the Sixers win Embiid, Simmons, and Fultz are out there, 111 minutes. They have a plus 0.8 net rating, and that's mostly because their offense is below 100, a point per Ooh. possession. They're 99.2 offensive rating. And then when Simmons and Embiid play together without Marco Fultz, the defense stays about the same, actually gets slightly better. But then the offense jumps all the way to 104, but that gives them a plus 6.2 net rating yeah and we'll see what happens with butler butler hitting uh, that crazy step back three to his right interesting that now both of these possessions were end of game tie game run the clock down possessions but they did go to jimmy butler on both of those just straight up isos again i think that's braun generally is not that into the iso stuff but they haven't really had anyone who could do that either uh so maybe now he's like ah finally i i could just do this uh and you know we've seen the sixers really struggle to get looks late in games sometimes or turn the ball over uh so yeah he went to two butler isos at the end of regulation and butler i thought got a pretty good look that just missed and then he hit that crazy step back three uh, over Dwayne bacon to win that game in charlotte uh, where do you want to start in terms of questions here a couple interesting ones i'll start with one from Roman Maslenikov, which is, can Mike Muscala be a credible backup center in the playoffs? I don't think so. I mean, offensively, having the ability to space the floor is nice, but we already saw him get attacked a couple different ways, including in that loss to the Orlando Magic in pick and rolls. And as you face superior opposition, especially some of the teams that they could be facing in the first round, that becomes a pretty big problem. So, you know, there are circumstances where he's not the point of failure, but is he credible? I would probably say that's too much. I mean, maybe they can just win games offensively with them out there. You know, I, I think that maybe just the, the idea is he spaces the floor well enough. He has been more aggressive looking for the three ball. Um, depending who they're going against, too, I really don't like him against Toronto, against Valanchunas as a backup center. I mean, he's Mascala one of his biggest problems he's improved in this certainly but when he first came into the league he was so spindly he really would just get beasted uh and we've still seen that from him uh, from time to time and so i don't like him against toronto you know milwaukee i think it could be a little bit better for him but you know he's not an amazing rim protector he's not an amazing pick and roll defender so yeah i mean he's certainly a below average defensive center i still like him better at center than at power forward where he's been closing games with Mil- wilson chandler on a minutes limit so no nah, i mean i'm not too excited about him is he gonna kill them you know i think he's better than Amir Johnson, uh, who really is was, you know, has been a struggle for him uh in the playoffs last year. Um can we say that the Sixers declining the rookie scale option for the third year on Furkan Korkmaz was a mistake? Korkmaz has uh, had some moments in the last couple of games. I said before the decision was made that I would have picked it up just because the odds that that $2 million burns them were lower. Now that $2 million has changed actually since the Jimmy Butler deal, which obviously had not been made at that point. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I think he's shown more capability and shooting is something we know the Sixers are going to need. So I don't think it's like a huge, mistake but if i were to sit if i were to kind of put it on a scale right now i would go more towards mistake than right call yeah i think this is one that you and i disagreed on when we did that episode uh, i'm not willing to change that stance i i have been impressed with what we've seen from him he does provide just a little bit more uh, dynamic offense than maybe someone like shamit in terms of creating shots and he hasn't looked as terrible defensively but no we can't definitively say that i mean he could be terrible the rest of the year they could really need that two million who knows uh, and regardless of what happens with them he's not going to 
be a guy based on his physical profile where you're like oh man like we would have won this playoff series if we had only had Furkan Korkmaz you know in the 2020 playoffs or something so uh I don't think they're gonna like live to regret it forever or something like that but basically any player who's useful you would want to keep him around for two million it remains to be seen to me whether he's useful or not but there have been some encouraging signs from him in the last few games uh why can't this yeah i'll go do ahead. one oh, yeah, go ahead. sorry uh, that, that's the question yeah. i was gonna do from jonathan vallejo why can't the sixers try simmons as the backup center i mean they can but the big problem there as it is for almost every team that wants to go small at the five is do you have enough wings and the sixers absolutely do not have enough wings at this point i mean we've talked about how narrow their rotation is and a couple of those guys are already big so it would be great if they had enough depth to be able to make that happen it would be fun to see where it could go but they do not have the personnel at the moment maybe you try to in flashes but they don't they they don't have the guys we've seen them try to look i mean whether you want to call chandler or simmons the center in those lineups basically as a way to make faults playable by getting more shooting and, and speed on the floor so if you're gonna play faults you know he's got some size too if you want to throw reddick out there butler you know now i like the staggering butler and simmons and who knows where Fultz comes in but i i don't think it makes a ton of sense unless you're gonna have Fultz out there because you don't really have anyone else to bring in that way uh, who has some size except for Fultz because the idea there is you're gonna be doing more switching uh which you know that becomes difficult with reddick out there so I, I think it's more of a gimmick at this point if they had some more guys with size i wouldn't throw that out uh from being a possibility in the future but i don't think it makes sense with the rest of their personnel what is zaire smith's role when healthy on the new look Sixers asked Semi and uh probably to sit on the end of the bench because it is extremely unlikely to me that he will be an NBA quality shooter and he runs into the same issues as Fultz and McConnell and every other guy they have who already can't shoot at all so if he can make shots you know they'll probably give him a shot at some point um you know they believe in playing guys and developing them and and they obviously were a big believer in his talent and it's been a shame that he's had these complications from the allergic reaction after he also had this foot injury and stuff and he's not going to debut until the new year but rookies who come in at that time i mean i, I don't think he's going to be able to contribute to them if you but maybe you could talk about danny of like well how is he going to fit in if you know he can kind of evolve a little bit beyond his rookie season going forward for these guys in that lens i think smith is a compelling fit because he is i think he profiles relatively well as a lower usage guy that can defend and we don't know if he's going to hit open shots that's the question that's going to largely define his career he made 45 percent of his threes at texas tech but that looks anomalous you know 72 percent free throw shooter i believe that people who had watched him in high school thought that that looked a little bit ridiculous so those kind of low usage though low usage activity type of players especially when they have his size he's Zyre's listed at at 6'5 but I know he has a crazy long wingspan so yeah I, I think he could actually fit in there if he shoots enough that that teams are going to put a body on him and then that can create more real estate for Simmons for Embiid for everybody else so yeah I, I actually think he could be a good fit if he gets towards the higher end of his of his scale we just have to see if Smith can be that guy but he's a, a nice kind of if you want to call it a lottery ticket a, a guy to have who could fit in with Butler and Simmons and Embiid without taking much away. All right. Um, we still got the Wizards to go, but anything you wanted to talk about since we got this five days that we're not going to have any episodes? Yeah. So I. 
I know who the guest is, but I have a policy that I don't say who it's going to be until I've actually recorded it, but I'll have a new Real Jam Radio out this week. It should be pretty fun. And I I think my piece for The Athletic that's going to come out for the whole NBA side is something that you and I haven't talked about much on the show, but we will eventually, which is the teams that have the flexibility to add salary this season. So I went through the teams that have trade exceptions, how much space they have under the under the cap, under the tax. And then some of the other teams that could make imbalance trades because they have a lot of space under the tax, but they don't have trade exceptions. So I went through all that. It's a, I, I like to have it as a, as a piece that's kind of in people's back pockets of thinking of when they're thinking about, oh, my team needs to cut five million. Here's maybe how they could do it. Let's look at Washington now. Five and 10, three and three. They've righted the ship somewhat since a disastrous start in their last six. Negative 5.6 net rating is still pretty bad. That's 25th in the NBA. 16th ranked offense. That's a disappointment. 30th ranked defense that's even more of a disappointment but nonetheless they still project uh for 538 with 41 wins which would uh be the sixth seed although there's a lot of teams clustered in that projection range so where i want to start with the the wizards is a question we don't have the the questioner on it is basically why is the wizards commentary i think that's more people talking about the wizards not kara and i can't remember the name of their play-by-play person uh talking about john wall's performance when he's been fine instead of otto porter who has been disappointing and there is some validity to that, to be sure. I mean, so Walls, you know, if you want to look more at the individual offensive stats, they're actually pretty similar to 16-17, which is his best year in terms of PER. And when you look at it, then the Wizards offense overall is not nearly as strong in Walls' minutes. They have a 110 offensive rating in his minutes. That's good for 60th percentile in this supercharged climate, still at least slightly supercharged. And they were 91st percentile, 114.3, that 16-17 year when he was, when he was injured last than he was last year. So then you're going, okay, well, how much of that is Wall? How much of that is his teammates? And a big part of it is that three-point shots aren't going in. I mean, so they were 39% that year, 35 this year. And Otto Porter, going back to Otto Porter, is the only wizard taking more than one three-pointer a game who's shooting better than 34% from three. He's at a whopping 35.2. Beal's at 34. Oubre's at 28. Wall himself is at 31. And another thing that has hurt their offense so far is the lack of offensive rebounding now Dwight is back so that should presumably be helped they had this god-awful center rotation often playing really small there so I think that Porter is a is a a kind of a natural scapegoat because he has getting paid a big salary and Wall hasn't you know Wall's been pretty good but I mean it's it's always going to go to the 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 best player to the most important player when a team is underperforming even if a lot of that I would say is not John Wall's fault yeah and certainly the defensive effort has not been there the stats uh, which are very disturbing that go back to last year of him spending basically more time walking uh, than just about any other player in the NBA their transition game uh, has not been as strong as it used to be and when he does do these headlong rushes in transition he's exhausted he can't get back on defense uh, and they really struggle there uh certainly he's always kind of been like a prickly guy in the media he doesn't he's still the biggest figure on this team so some guys to address the question of why he gets the blame you know that's part of why it is just you know the biggest star and he's he doesn't seem like you know the most facile guy with the media there always seems to be like some controversy going on around him so i mean the, the early stuff in his career like the count coward or whatever was ridiculous but uh, you know he's not like a guy who seems like an awesome teammate he's feuding with teammates he feuds with opponents whatever it is uh when things just seem like 
like a disaster he always kind of seems to be at the center of it uh rightly or wrongly another question here simple one from truth serum will the wizards make the playoffs let's take a look at the old standings right now here they are projected to uh, by 538 uh, with those 41 wins I mean, you got to think about who is really their competition. You know, I, I think right now you would probably say, especially with the Levert injury, you're looking at 10 teams for eight slots. I think we can comfortably slot the top five teams ahead of them. So we're looking at for three spots, five teams, Pistons, Magic, Hornets, Heat, Wizards, and the Wizards sit two games behind the eighth seed right now. And that doesn't seem insurmountable to me. Despite all of their issues, I still think they have more talent than the Magic. Probably more talent than the Pistons. I mean, they're probably still the most talented team of that group. And so you might say, hey, they're just... They're too screwed defensively. They're always going to suck. Like, But I think they're not going to continue to be this bad. They certainly, I haven't checked it in the last week or so, but they were giving up a crazy percentage on opponent three-pointers. So I think they, they definitely have, to me, the most offensive talent of those teams. The only team, the only one of these teams that has a good offense is the Hornets. And so much of that is built on what Kemba's been doing. We talked about why they might regress as well, the, uh, the Hornets in particular. So no, I, I think they will make the playoffs. They've righted the ship a little bit here. You know, we talked about that like okay they're two and eight they better start at least winning some games they've done that you know they've at least you know they blew out the cavaliers the other night like they're they're i don't think they're like totally out of it yet and you know these guys are going to start shooting better from three i mean you've talked about how uh, what some of their woes are there so uh, no i think they will make it but certainly not a guarantee the stats on on the three point shooting as of when we're recording this magic or sorry the wizards are giving up 39.5% on opponent threes that is the second strongest shooting percentage in the entire league they're actually holding teams to a reasonable number there they're brown league average in terms of attempt proportion but i mean if teams making that many and they're also giving up 47.7% on long twos which is ridiculous and they are giving up more open shots like i mean when you watch them you see teams get looks yeah. but you don't expect percentages like that even if they're wide open and yeah and they're so dependent on transition too that more than just Mm -hmm. about any team in the league i think they're subject to the feedback loops that that you talk about so much where just even an incremental increase uh in their defense to just get a few more misses that they can run off it will really help you i think if you look at that would be interesting to look at someday maybe we should make a note of that of who are the teams that have the biggest difference in terms of how effective they are in transition versus normally the kings probably are, are up there the lakers are definitely up there um uh, and the Wizards, you know, those are the three that come to mind for me of teams that like really try to run a lot. And then, you know, when they get into the half court, aren't as effective. Lakers obviously have LeBron, so they're probably out in the same category as the Wizards. And, and the Kings are super extreme with that. Ben Falk wrote a little bit about that a couple of days ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to look better. You want to do one more here before we wrap up? Well, actually, I want to give you a scheduling note for the Wizards. Yes. Their next game against their next game against the team that is not like really in the playoff chase is December 1st against Brooklyn. This they have a rough like they play they play the Pelicans twice, they play the Rockets, they play the the Raptors. It's just I mean, it might just be that even though they're a playoff team on talent, that they just tailspin hard in the next like two weeks by the next time we do this. And we're just like, well, crap, even if they could come back here, they probably won't. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they, uh, I, I've said with them, you know, if they get to 10 games under 500, then, you know, you got to really, then it's really time to panic for these guys. So, uh, and with that stretch. Well, and that can kind of gets into, that kind of gets into the last question that we can do from AB of like, what might a Godfather offer look like to acquire Bradley Beal? And Beal to me is the, 
wizard that makes the least sense to trade in terms of theory because he's young, he's talented, and his contract looks the best of any of their big contracts. So there isn't a rush there. And one of the big problems for the for the wizards is like theoretically, I guess part of the logic there would be to try to get out from under the lecture tax. So then that so presumably a trade would involve savings. I I don't think I know what it looks like. I mean, certainly it would involve some draft picks and everything else. And I mean, if Grunfeld's running this team still for some well, reason, does it does it involve draft picks? I mean, you mentioned Grunfeld. I think you mentioned the approach that that they're taking. I mean, if they if they yeah, move that's true. Him, a Godfather offer for they them. still got Wall. Then they're right? so it's like so if you're not gonna yeah, and Porter yeah, and so it's like if you're moving Beal, I guess it's doing it to just like mix things up or whatever. But you still have these other players who are paid well and you know in theory are good. So you're you're kind of doing it more. More to reload than rebuild i think if you move bill unless you're gonna try and move all three of those guys and really blow it up but you know that i think could prove difficult yeah could prove difficult because the other two guys are on what i consider to be significantly negative value contracts there's a disagreement on john wall that's fine people can disagree who, who disagrees and Does anyone disagreed on that i had somebody somebody tell me that like they're like good players are hard to find and i was like it might just be that whole thing of like caring i i don't i don't know if it yeah. was i don't think it was somebody who necessarily i think highly of it was just, i'm sure i made we, a comment and somebody got yeah we just like totally i mean we're all guilty of this in all walks of life but i'm sure all of us in general are like oh we got like five twitter comments or in this case one yeah uh that <laughs> and so it's like oh like this is something that a lot of people really believe it's like it's it's like the reverse cocoon like the like yeah. the idea that we we spend a lot of time in the echo chamber but then anything that isn't in it ends up reverberating a lot more so yeah i i think that's true and yeah i mean the wizards might they're one of the hardest teams to to blow it up not because they're 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 so good or they have so much young talent but just because there are a lot of guys on this team that are really hard to move and that might end up leading to this awkward circumstance where they just kind of keep it together and the other reason why argument against trading Beal is he fits reasonably well with what they're trying to do like you know it's not like they have these mismatched pieces and so oh if you trade player x for somebody for player y at a different position with a different niche that all of a sudden this team makes sense that's not Bradley Beal's problem that's not really anybody's problem on this team all right that's uh, a good one to end on Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we'll be back on Sunday night. Till then.